the twisted mind of God, not the forgetful mind of God, the twisted mind of God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for life. Today, all over the world, thousands of people died. You kept us alive, not to give us more time to sin, but to extend your probationary mercy that we may sense and see that you have a purpose for our lives individually, dear God. As Ella White writes in Christian Service, page 9, paragraph 3, a distinct work is assigned to every Christian. And so, dear God, I ask you in the name of Jesus, who used to be 17, he was 18, he was 19, dear God, when he walked this earth, he understands what it means to be youthful, in his name, possess my mind. Put your words into my mouth, O loving Father, that the words I speak may be your words. I offer myself to you as an unresisting instrument. I humble myself before your day, God. Take all the glory and give us all possible blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Let God's people say, Amen, amen. and Amen. The twisted mind of God. Think with me. Let's go to Isaiah 55. We shall read verses 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. While you're looking for Isaiah, it's in the Old Testament, for those of you who are struggling, I have two things in my hands. What's this? Now, I need all of you to answer me. What's this? What's this? What's this? What's this? This is not a Bible. Now, the text of the Bible may be on here electronically. This is not a Bible. This is what? A phone. Samsung, Nokia, iPhone, WhatsApp phone, whatever kind of phone it is. This is a Bible. Now, answer this question for me. If someone sees you walking down the street and you're doing this, will they assume you're going to church reasonably? No. If they saw you walking down the road with this, even if you weren't reading it, just walking with it, what assumptions might the person make? You're a Christian. Assumption number two. What might they assume about your character? You're Christ-like. Anything else? Trustworthy? Honest? You don't steal? What else might they assume? That you're going to? Or you're coming from? They do not make those assumptions when they see you this way. The only questions they may ask is, is this a Samsung, a Nokia, an iPhone, and could I steal it and run off with it? <laughs> Why am I saying that? And we're going to Isaiah 55 in a minute. This is an opportunity to witness for God. A lot of people, old and young, hide behind the phone so no one knows they're Christians. Yet they can say, I have a Bible. But God reads your heart. Are you with me? Are you with me? He reads your heart. Every opportunity you get, let people know who you are. What does Paul say? Let your moderation be known to how many people? All people. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Reading the King James Version. The Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How high is heaven from earth? Give me an estimate in hundreds of miles, perhaps hundreds of light years. How far is heaven from earth? The Bible says, as, as heaven is higher than earth, so are my thoughts. Are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts? In other words, God does not think the way we think. Now, here is God. Here are we. The Bible says in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, Can two walk together, finish the verse, except they be agreed? I keep getting answers from this side, none from that side. I want some answers from this side. It's not enough to be good-looking. I want some answers. Are you with me? All right. What does Amos 3.3 say? Can two walk together except they be agreed? Now, here is God. Here are you. Here is God. Here is army of youth. Here is God. Here are the youth from Penang. Here is God. Here are the youth from Cambodia. Now, in order for this group to walk with God, and that group's mind is different from God's mind. Somebody's mind has to what? Change. Now what does God say of himself in Malachi chapter 3 verse 6? I am the Lord. I change not. Then you tell me the elementary answer. Who has to change the thinking? We do. We must learn to think like God. If that's clear, say amen. amen. Now, having said that, have you ever heard of the firstborn in the Bible? What can you tell me about the firstborn? Did the firstborn have certain privileges? Give me one privilege. A double portion of the inheritance from the father. What else did the firstborn take over in the absence of the father? He became the what? The priest of the home. He became the head of that family, of that clan. And of course, in the context of God's people, the one through whom, if you're from Judah, Christ would come. The firstborn was a privileged position. When I say firstborn, I mean, according to the Bible, the firstborn son. Now keep this in mind, the firstborn son. The firstborn animal was God's animal. The firstborn son was God's special possession. The firstborn biologically at the first level. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 4. We're looking at the first two sons on the earth as far as the Bible informs us. Genesis 4, we read from verse 1. What's our subject? The twisted mind of God. Now, the mind of the earth was the firstborn biologically that's the one to accept, to receive all the privileges. We read Genesis 4, reading from verse 1. The Bible says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. 
And the Lord had respect unto whom? And to Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very rough, and his countenance fell. Now we have the first two boys. Name the firstborn. Which one found favor with God? Abel. He was the secondborn. Let's leave that story abruptly. Let's go to Genesis 5. What's our subject? Twisted mind of God. The mind of the earth was the first biological son. We're looking at the mind of God. You see, his mind is twisted from our point of view, not from his. From God's point of view, there's nothing wrong with his mind. But God does things so differently, we tend to think sometimes that God is mad, but he's not. We are the mad ones. Genesis 5, verse 32. What does that verse say? And Noah was what? 500 years old. And Noah begat, read the names, Shem, go on, and Japheth. As you read the names, which one is the firstborn? No, Shem wasn't. Shem was not the firstborn. Let me try to show that to you as simply as I can. Go to Genesis 11, read verse 10. Quickly. Genesis 11, reading verse 10, our subject, the twisted mind of God. And by the way, I read from the King James Version of the Bible. You've had a long day. I don't want to delay you long, but I need just enough time to get God's message across. Do we have Genesis 11, verse 10? The Bible says, yes? Say that again. Oh, all right, all right. We have a bright man who's ahead of me. Okay, all right. Let's see if he's correct or not. The Bible says, and Shem lived what? A hundred years and begat whom? Our facts had when? Two years after the flood. Let's read that again. And Shem lived a hundred years and begat our facts had Two years after the flood. Now you're looking at me because I didn't say these are the generations of Shem. Just, that's not what I want. Shem lived a hundred years and begat our facts had two years after the flood. Now let's go to Genesis 7. Let's read verse 6. Genesis 7, 6. Let's see if we can put here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. What does Genesis 7 verse 6 say? And Noah was what? 600 years old when the flood of waters were upon the earth. Now Genesis 5.32 says Noah was 500 years old and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Genesis 7 verse 6 says and Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. Genesis 11.10 says and Shem was 100 years old and he begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. If Shem was the firstborn, are you with me, you mathematicians and statisticians? And he was a hundred years old, two years after the flood, and the flood came when Abraham was 600, how old should Shem be? 102. Are you following me? Mathematicians, algebra experts, those you can count two and two make 22. Shem was 102, if you say he was the firstborn. But he was only 100 two years after the flood, which means he was born when Noah was 502. So Shem was not the firstborn, but he is listed first because he was the one who represented God. 
He was the head of that holy line. The oldest one was Japheth. What am I saying? From the standpoint of the earth, it should have been Japheth, Shem, and Ham. But from the point of view of God, it is not biological preeminence. It is spiritual preeminence. And so in God's way, it is Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's stay in Genesis 11. Let's go to verse 26. Genesis 11, verse 26. The Bible says, and Tira what? And Tira did what? He was 70 years old and begat whom? Abraham, Nahor, and? All right. Who is mentioned first? Abraham. But he was not the first. He was not the first. Now, let's go to the last verse of chapter 11 of the book of Genesis. How old does that verse tell us that Tira was? 205. Let's go to verse 4 of Genesis 12. The Bible says, And Noah departed, and Abraham departed, as the Lord had said unto him. And Abram was what? Seventy and five years old when he did what? Departed out of Haran. Terah died when he was 205. After his death, Abram left. And Abram was just 75. Meaning that Abram was born when Terah was how old? 130. Even though they listed Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. They're in that order because God chose Abraham to lead a holy people. So spirituality, oneness with God, is the determining factor in whether a person in God's eyes becomes the firstborn or not. It's not just biological order of birth. God's mind is different. Let's go to Genesis 25 and see the consistency with, God, with which God goes against social expectations. And there's a reason why I'm doing this. I'll get to the reason in a minute. Our subject, the twisted mind of God. Genesis 25, reading from verse 24. The Bible says, And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, they were what? Twins in her womb. And the first came out, red all over, like an hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. Who was born first? And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. Who was born first? But listen to what God told Rebekah before the boys were born. Let's go to verse 22 of Genesis 25, our subject, the twisted mind of God. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be thus, why am I so? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, what did he say? Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people. Finish the verse. And the elder shall serve thee. In the womb, God chose, not as human beings would have chosen, God chose the younger in the womb. God's mind is different. Let's go to 1 Samuel, chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16, 
If ever I go too quickly, don't hesitate to say slow down. I'm quite aware there is translation going on. And I do not want to make life hellish for the translators. 1 Samuel 16. You should read verses 6 and 7, then 11 and 12. If you found it, say amen. amen. By the way, let me pause. I've observed the Seventh-day Adventists nowadays take longer to find the books of the Bible. Have you observed that? Perhaps not. I have. All over the world. And the reason for that is, when you have the Bible on this and on the screen, you don't have to know where Genesis comes if it's right next to Hezekiah. Are you with me? Or, or Jeremiah. You just punch it in. When you don't have this and you have this, you have to know where they found. It takes you half an hour to find Genesis. And so what I'm saying is, we, let me ask this. Then we'll get to 1 Samuel 16. Who can recite all 66 books in order? You can? Come. Come with a capital C. Come. <laughs> How do I put life into this lifeless thing? Oh, I turned it off. Do I push it up? Up. It's up. All right, here we are. All right, sister. Come close to me. I'm a nice man. Come. What's your name? Desiree. Desiree is a good name. Say amen for sister Desiree. I want you to recite all 66 books from Genesis to Revelation. Okay? Let's listen as Desiree brings honor and glory to God. It's working. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, the Second Samuel, the Second Kings, the Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nehu, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, X, Romans, let the church say amen. Ah, thank you, Desiree. God bless you. Who else could do it? I won't call you up, but who else can do it? Who else can do it? You can. God bless you. What's your name? Oh, no, it's okay. Come, 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 come. Here we go. All 66. Go ahead. Okay, my name is Edwin Really? Okay. Good name, good name. God bless you. All right. 66 books. Genesis Revelation. So I'll be memorized all the 66 books. Genesis. Genesis, um, Exodus, and then Exodus, and then with Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, mm -hmm. Joshua, um, Joshua, Judges, mm -hmm. um, Judges, First Samuel, Second Samuel. I forgot Ruth. And Ruth, first Samuel, first Samuel, second Samuel, mm -hmm. first King, second King, mm -hmm. and then first Chronicles, mm -hmm. second Chronicles, mm -hmm. and then there's only just Chronicles and Ezra, 
Say amen for me. <laughs> What's your name? What's your name? Edward Tan Wong. Edward. Edward Tan Wong. Really? Okay. I accept it by faith. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, say amen again. All right. What book did I say? First Samuel. What chapter? Sixteen. Reading from what verse? Six. We read six, seven, eleven, and twelve. It is now about 25 after something. I'll let you go shortly. Do we have 1 Samuel 16? If you have it, say amen. Verse, and it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, what's the next word? Surely. Who is that saying surely? Samuel. Now, Samuel was the only human being other than Christ that occupied the positions of prophet, priest, and king. Of course, in his day, it wasn't king yet. It was judge. Only Christ held those three positions. This man, who really is regarded as the first of the great prophets, because his mind was different from the way God was thinking, he looked at Eliab, who was the firstborn, and he said, surely, no doubt. How many people sit on committees? Where does an AY committee 
conference committee, uh, family committee, make decisions. And they say what? Surely, this is the way God wants it. And they are wrong. Because the mind is not functioning like God's mind. How many young women have looked at a young man and said, surely, he can support me. How many young men have looked at a young woman, surely, and the parents say, uh-uh. No, surely, from my point of view, my brothers and sisters, Samuel said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But God said to Samuel in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 16, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, for I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. Finish the verse. For man looketh where? On the outward appearance, finish the first, but the Lord looketh where on the heart. What am I saying? God's mind is so different from ours, we may think his mind is twisted. How can you say to me, what fellowship hath righteousness with light with darkness, righteousness with unrighteousness? How can you say that? How can you tell me, don't marry that young man when he's a fine, upstanding Baptist? Because God says, I do not want my people marrying outside of the faith. And while society's mind may be in one direction, God's mind is twisted in the right direction. Verse 11, and Samuel said unto Jesse, I hear all thy children. And he said, there's yet the youngest. And behold, he is where? He keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in, and he was what? Ruddy, and behold of a what? Beautiful countenance, goodly to look to. And the Lord said, what? Arise, go on, anoint whom? Him. For this, finish the verse, is he. Now Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, the next born, Shammah, the next born. And God said, no, no. From the standpoint of the world, thinking God was man. Let me show you how different the mind was. Jesse did not even bring David in. It just didn't cross his mind that God could possibly choose the youngest. It did not cross his mind. It was not a part of his reality. Surely God cannot choose David. He did not bring him in. And God in his twisted mind, twisted in the right direction. I don't want a firstborn, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh. I want the youngest. When he came in, smelling like the sheep he was caring for, the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Jacob had 12 sons. Who can name them in order of birth? Where's Desiree? <laughs> Who can name them? Okay, let's try. Firstborn, Reuben. Second, 
Simeon, third. Not Judah, sister, but you're close. First, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, then. Judah, then. Dan, then. Naphtali, then. Gad, then. Asher, then. Issachar, then. Zebulon, then. Joseph, then. Benjamin, and Dinah came just before Joseph. The fourthborn was Judah. You know how to remember those 12 boys? You start with the first four, RSLJ. Randy Skeet loves Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. And you can't forget, Randy Skeet loves Jesus. And so do you. And so, but Judah was boy number four. Are you with me? But which tribe did God choose for Jesus Christ to come through? Tribe number four, not number one. Now, Jacob probably wanted the Savior, to come through whom? Reuben. First boy. First proof of his manliness, his virility. But God, in his mind, twisted in the right direction. I don't want Reuben. I don't want Simeon. I don't want Levi. I have chosen, tell me, Judah. Thinking differently. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. We shall read from verse 1. What's our subject? The twisted mind of God. And then I will hit you between the eyes with the, uh, the main point that perhaps some of you have already guessed. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Are you there? If you're still looking, say amen. Okay, that's honest. All right. But hurry it up. We have to go to bed. 1 Samuel 3. Reading from verse 1. Do you have that now? And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. What does that mean? Precious means rare in that context. There was no open vision. There weren't, you know, constant dreams and revelations. No, it was scarce. On an isolated occasion, God may send a messenger as he did in 1 Samuel 2.27. But overall, there were no visions, no dreams, no special revelations. In that climate, in that time of famine, of revelation from God. Let's go to verse 2. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the candle of God went out of the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord did what? Come on, the Lord did what? Called whom? Eli. Now, who was Eli? He was priest and judge. He was the most powerful man in Israel. The tribes came to him. Now, here is an old man, a judge. A priest. Here's a little boy. He was 12. Ella White writes in Bible Commentary, Volume 2, page 10, 10, paragraph 6. The son of Hannah was 12 years old when he received his special commission from the Most High. Samuel was 12. How old was Eli? I don't know, 112. There he is in his bed. Here's Samuel. Here comes God. Let me just dramatize it carefully. And God says, 
I have to do a work of reformation in Israel. My people are as cold as ice, as dry as the dust of the Sahara. I need to revive them. I need to do a work that wakes up my people and gets them doing what I put them on this earth to do. And he sees Eli, years of experience doing things one way. And he looks at Samuel, lying there, his face glowing with innocence. And all the angels are watching to see which one he'll call. And the Bible says, he called whom? Samuel. He was so determined to use Samuel, how many times did he call him? Four times. Those of you who said three, you're close. Four times. What am I trying to say? God chose Shem above Japheth. He chose Jacob above Esau. Hmm? David above his other brothers. Is it possible that God is at a point? You know what's our theme? What's our theme? Now is the time. Is it possible God is saying in heaven, I raised up this church officially in 1863, when, the, when it was organized as a general conference. By the way, the first conference in the history of the Adventist Church is which conference? The Michigan Conference. Let all nice people say amen. All right. Some of you are not. God said, I raised up this church. And from 1863 until 2014, twice I wanted to come back. And I couldn't because they didn't do the work. The time is now to bypass the elderly women, to bypass the adults whose minds are fixed like concrete in a certain way and call the youth. Let me exercise my twisted mind. With all due respect, let me bypass the, 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 the division president. God bless him. And the union president. Hmm? And the conference president. And the mission president. Who are hemmed in by bureaucracy. And the, uh, the uh, what's that book? The, uh, the policy book. Let me call some young people. Who've never seen a policy book. Who know nothing about sustentation and don't have to protect it. So that they can go out boldly and do the work that the, 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 the Eli's should have done. I'm calling the Samuels. Let the Eli's sleep a little longer. Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, he needed help. He came to the disciples. What were they doing? He came a second time. What were they doing? He came a third time. What were they doing? What did he say the third time? Sleep on. <laughs> sleep. Your spiritual gift, exercise it. Sleep. Let me find someone who is awake, alert, willing, eager, energetic, with a mind that I can reshape 
so that that person can do a work that will hasten the return of Jesus Christ. What does Ellen White say in the book Education, page 271, paragraph 2, with such an army of workers as our youth rightly trained might furnish? How soon the message of a crucified, risen, soon-coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. How soon the end might come, the end of suffering, of sorrow, and of sin. How soon? As soon as the training is done. Do you not realize that God may be looking at you? In the days of the church, the early days, the apostolic era, just after Christ died, God put his eyes on one man. That man was the greatest teacher after Jesus. One man. What was his name? Paul. God found four young men. Daniel, Hananiah, Ishmael, uh, Mishael, and Azariah. Popularly known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And through them, through them, he made a remarkable impression on the minds of Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, the youth. In Daniel 3, when all the Israelites were bowing, the Jews, all the older folk, many young ones too, the Chaldeans came to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 12, and they said, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, uh, and I, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, certain Jews. I like that word. Certain Jews. They won't bow, young men. In verse 8 of the same chapter, the Bible says, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. We have certain Chaldeans and we have certain Jews. Hmm? The certain Chaldeans opposing the Jews, we have the certain Jews, not all the Jews. Certain Jews. A select group of young men who refused to bow. They were young. Today, God is looking for certain Jews. Certain young men. Certain young women who are unafraid. You know, there are young people who risk their lives for drugs. Am I right, yes or no? Am I right? Yes. They die for drugs. They die because of unprotected sex. By the way, the only protected sex is biblical sex. God needs you, the Samuels, the Judas, the Jacobs, the Shems. He needs you. If the older ones won't do it, says God, let me go to the youth. I want you to understand as you sit, I want you to pretend no one else is in this building listening to me but you. Actually, you can pretend I'm not even present. The voice you hear is the voice of God. Pretend that. And God is saying to you, I need you. I just say, I want I read in Ella White's writings, I don't recall where, she said, we were created because we were needed. I can give it to you tomorrow. God needs you. Now the devil wants you. You know why he wants you so badly? Because you're the cream of the crop. Is that expression used in this part of the world? 
cream of the crop. You're the best. But you see, God wants the best and the devil wants the best. Because both God and the devil know the best can serve either kingdom to the fullest. Nebuchadnezzar took those three boys and tried to make them Babylonians. He chose the best. Whom did the devil choose to overthrow Eve? The Bible says in Genesis 3 verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The devil deliberately chose the smartest animal. Are you listening to me? I am looking at smartest. And the devil wants you to serve his kingdom. Because he knows if he gets you, you will serve with all your power, all your skills, all the ability. God gave you, not the devil. And he wants you. And God is saying, I want you. I want you. I need you. And so here's the devil who wants to destroy your life. Here's God who died for you in the person of his son. Which one will you answer? The devil says, I want you. I want your talents, your youth, your strength your adventuresome spirit, your willingness to take careful risks. I want that. And God says, my son, my daughter, I want you. Let me prove how badly I want you. I died for you. What did he do for you? The devil never died for you. Christ did. And so today, as I conclude, the twisted mind of God, which is the, the straight mind of God, our minds are twisted, but we see God is twisted because we're so far from his, uh, his standard. I want you to make a commitment to God. Simple. Which is, Father, here am I. Finish my words. Send me. Now, he may send you next door. If you live in Sabah, he may send you to Cambodia. He may not send you from Malaysia all the way to Alaska. But what he needs for you to say is, here am I, finish my words, send me. I ask you from my heart, please give all of you to God. You will never regret it. There are many of us who are older now, we'd love to live our lives again, to undo certain things. You don't have that problem. Not quite as much, just a little bit. Now, by putting your hand in the hand of God, you can live a life with a minimum of regret. Now. Prevention is better than cure. The older people were involved in the process of curing this and curing that. You can prevent by walking with your hand in God, making that decision. So I ask you again, will you not say to God, Father, as much as I can, I give myself to you. You created me. I belong to you at that level. You died for me. I belong to you at that second level. There is no level at which I naturally belong to the devil. Or he has a rightful claim to me. And so I, as an old youth, I fully recommit my life to God again right now. And my commitment is to God, I'll go anywhere you send me. Just make, make it clear to me, you are the one. I will go anywhere you send me. I've told God, I will go into an erupting volcano to preach. If he makes it clear, he's the one sending me.
Let me talk to the young man first. God made Adam first. There's a reason for that. To teach, he's the leader. Not the boss, the leader. There are two different things. He's the leader. He's the head. And the head serves. Young men, how many of you will say, Father, thank you for life and the gifts you've given me, my youth, my strength. As far as I'm able, Father, I commit my life to you fully. Can I see your right hand? I commit my life. Talk to the young men. Keep your hands up, raise them up. I commit my life to you, just the young men, just the young men. I'll get it later. Young men, you raise your hand, stand up while I pick up my Bible that fell. Young men, stand up. Seriously. I've never seen a joke in the Bible, never play with God. Seriously. Let me give you some words of wisdom from the writings of Ellen White. Desire of Ages, page 324, paragraph 1. We may leave off many bad habits. For a time, we may part company with Satan. But without a vital connection with God, through surrender of ourselves to him moment by moment, we shall be overcome. What is she saying? This kind of commitment we made must be repeated daily. She says somewhere else, genuine conversion is needed not once in years, but daily. Genuine. You are recommitting your life to God. He needs strong young men. He is desperate for strong young men. It's not God's will that angels should preach. When Christ was in the garden, the disciples should have strengthened him by their prayers and their presence. But they slept, and so God had to send an angel, Luke 22, verse 43, to strengthen Christ. But it's not God's will that angels do that work. We must do that work. God bless you, my young brothers. Stay standing. My young, lovely sisters, God needs young women. He needs young women badly. Which of you will say, Father... I commit my life to you. Use me to advance your kingdom. Which young sister will make that commitment? Can I see your right hand if you're serious? Here's my life, dear God. Here is my life. If you raise your hand, stand up. And we'll pray and over these commitments. You know, what God needs is just a commitment that's genuine. He does the rest. Listen to how God called Abraham. Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Genesis 12, reading from verse 1, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. I will show thee, that's God. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, make thy name great, thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee. And I will curse them that curse thee. God is saying, I will do all, I, I, I. You've got to do one thing, just obey. I'll do all the rest. Give your life to God. Fall in love with spiritual decency. And God will bless your studies. As you come to my workshops, we'll talk about different areas of excellence. Never be afraid to give your life to God. People think if I give my life to God, I'll lose my education, I'll lose my possibility of having a spouse, I'll lose this. You lose only what's not good for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Before I pray, as my young brothers and sisters stand, is there anyone standing who has a particular prayer request, a spiritual prayer request? I want to include in this prayer anyone. My young brothers and sisters standing, you've got a particular spiritual request. Anybody? Yes, my dear brother. Tell us what it is, if you can. Silent? Good. All right. Anyone else?
Yes, okay. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, sister. God bless, God bless you and you and you. A spiritual prayer request. I see that hand. God bless you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Dear God, if I have preached badly, forgive me. Take my weak, meager human effort, dear Father. Improve it through your spirit. And Lord, take this message now. Apply it with force to everyone who heard. As your sons and daughters leave, let them take time to dwell on what they've heard. From Genesis onward, we've seen how you chose the younger, the younger, not because you're opposed to the older, because you think differently. And let them realize, dear God, that you may have your eyes on them now as instruments you can use to bring about a remarkable conversion experience in this part of the world. Converting and changing hearts that the world may have considered impossible to reach. Dear God in heaven, please, Father, please, put this burden on our hearts like fire in our bones, as Jeremiah said. And let service to you be our highest duty. As your servant says in historical sketches, page 285, paragraph 4, every youth should be impressed with the fact that he's not his own or she's not her own. That his strength, his time, his talents belong to God. It should be his chief purpose in life. To glorify God and to do good to his fellow man. And in the same paragraph she writes, every youth, every child has a work to do for the glory of God and the salvation of souls that are ready to perish. So let my young brothers and sisters acquire that consciousness. There is a work for me as an individual to do for my God. Ah, Father, guide them. Take away immaturity from their hearts. Take away love for the world and give them a passion for the things of heaven. Bless their families, dear God. Bless their health. Let them de de decide in their minds how they will use their education for your glory. Please, God, continue to bless this weekend, this conference, so that at the end, your name will be lifted high. And we will be lifted high through your blessings. I offer this prayer from my heart. In Jesus' name and for his sake, let God's people say amen and amen. What was our subject for tonight? Before you sit, give me a minute. Well, you can sit, you can sit, you can sit. I'll just take two minutes, I, I promise you. What will you take from the message you heard tonight? What will you take? Raise your hand. Something that will stay with you and tell us out loud. What will you take from the message? Don't leave here. What will you take? Raise your hand. Tell me. Even though it may not be in your culture to speak out loud, but try to go against your culture. Try to use a twisted mind tonight. What will you take from what you heard? Raise your hand. Tell us. You must take something. Who will be the first brave person to raise a hand and set an example for the rest? Who? Should be a young man. Any brave young men, what will you take from the message? Tell me. Yes. Nice and loud. God's thoughts are different from ours. Vastly different. Thank you. Someone else. Raise your hand. Yes. God looks into the heart. Where do we look? 
on the outside. So if you wear a suit, then you're high priest. No, God doesn't function like that. All right, someone else. What will it? Yes. God can raise the humble to a mighty position if the humble stays humble. Yes. Mm-hmm. Someone else. Yes. Recommitment of the life must be done every day. Genuine conversion is needed not once in years, but daily. Two more, then I let you go. Yes. All right. Okay, okay, all right. Okay, okay. Yes, sister. A sister, yes. You, yes. Say it again. Yes, let me tell you what she said. When you surrender the life to God, whatever you lose is what's not good for you. One more, one more, one more. Thank you, sister. God bless you. Leading the ladies. One more. A lady, a lady, a lady. Is that a lady? Yes. <laughs> a nice one, too. Yes. Nice lady. Tell us. We're listening. We were created. I'll bring that quotation tomorrow. Because we were needed. Do not let God's need go unanswered. God bless you. God bless you. The sun has set. What hours are we in? So we must guard our actions, our words, and our thoughts. Thank you. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.